Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that my next six-month leadership programme will start in January 2024. If you would like to be part of this transformational experience, you can find all the information you need on the Dive Deep Climb High website. As the previous delegate said, this course is a must for anyone invested in being the best leader they can be. My guest today comes from the world of recruitment. And when she first appeared on the show back in season two, we chatted about recruitment and the challenges of finding the right people for the right roles. Today she's back and this time we're going to be exploring onboarding. So you've managed to recruit the right person. How do you best induct them into your organisation and team? How do you set them up for success, not failure, and ensure they have the best onboarding experience? I know my guest is going to have some great ideas for you. It's also quite exciting because since appearing on the show, my guest has moved companies and therefore she has a very personal and recent experience of onboarding. Please welcome the wonderfully honest and straight-talking human being that is Hayley Minton. Welcome back, Hayley. Thanks for having me back. So exciting to be here again. I can't believe it's been a couple of years since last time we spoke. I know. It's incredible, isn't it? And you are the first of my repeat guests. So this is really exciting and it's really strange to be going, oh, I'm not talking to a new person. I'm talking to somebody I already know. So there is no point in you sharing your career journey because people can get that from the previous episode. So we are going to dive straight in, I think, today and talk about onboarding and the best way to do that. And it's a really exciting topic because actually so many people invest so much time and process into the recruitment process, they then forget about what it's actually like to join a company and what it looks like. And I think so much has changed since we last spoke. We've obviously had a pandemic and we're now all now working from home and companies have evolved their thinking around you don't just have to come into an office every day and people are spread out all over the country and, and in some cases all over the globe. So that just means it's a very different way of onboarding people. It's a very different way of interacting with people. And there has to be an element of trust as well, which is interesting, you know, but how do you get those relationships with individuals? How do you set up your IT, which is always the first challenge for everybody trying to onboard is getting connected with your IT department because the email never works, the phone never works straight away. And how do you manage some of that risk and, you know, send people these kind of care packages and, and what that looks like. And I've seen some really good examples over the years, actually. And 
one of the student accommodation providers I worked with had a seamless process and everybody was onboarded remotely during the pandemic, etc. So they got a package in the post. They would get their laptop, which was all pre-programmed, all set up. All they had to do was log in and put their password in. IT had already done everything for them. They got their phone. And again, all they had to do was put the code in, which was a pre-submit code. It was all set up. All the contact numbers were already in there. All the names of all the people. It's fantastic. But what really got me is they were sent a care package on the first day when somebody started. And it had like some branded suites, notebooks, that sort of thing. And it had a really nice message just around like what impact they were always going to have on the business. And then they had a whole series for the first day of introduction meetings and get to know people. And I just thought that really was a nice touch. You know, we were all in a really difficult time. It was an international business, you know, so they had people all around the globe in different roles and trying to find their feet. And just how slick it was in terms of getting people in, getting that first week of introduction, getting them to understand the business without having the physical office side of things. I, I really liked that. And you know, from a personal perspective, I just think it's so important that even from that first offer, the communication, getting the contract out, making sure you keep in touch with people, that is the whole onboarding process. And and all of that's really critical to somebody's overarching experience. I was really lucky when I joined AQ. It was absolutely seamless. Like everything they had spoke to me about when we sort of interviewed, the process we'd gone through, it all followed through. And I actually went into the office for my first day, which is is unusual, but I do still like human interaction as much as possible. Um, so I went into the office. My laptop was set up. They had a, a notebook, a really fancy pen, which was, I was like, oh, this is an expensive pen for a first day. And my phone, it all worked. I had meetings with the managing partners on the first day to kind of get to know the priorities of the business, what that looked like. And then the second day, I was working from home and they pre-set up meetings. So I have actually met in three days every single member of the AQ team and learned what they did, how they were responsible, how we could interface, you know, my likes and dislikes and what I was into. And that first week was just really seamless. And there was no expectation for me to like suddenly hit the ground running or, or to change the world in that first week. It was very much about getting to know people get to know the business, look at the systems, look at the processes. And because obviously vast majority were working from home, we had touch points at all the time and, and check-ins and making sure that we had a plan of action. And then when we were in the office, we then set up kind of meetings around what I was going to be doing, what that looked like, you know, how we was going to approach that and the sort of marketing resource that we needed, et cetera, to be able to move forward. And and I think that's an example of how it should be, really. It's, it's all about bringing somebody into your business. You know, you, that first month really is about getting to know the operations, the teams, what happens. You can't run before you can walk, as some people would say, is probably the expression to use when onboarding people. I really love that. And to me, as you were speaking there, there were so many things that resonated because both you and I have worked in and with HE for many, many years. And that IT system, the number of times people turn up and they can't log in and they can't do this and they can't do that. So that seamless process. But also, as you were talking there and the image that came up for me, it's, it's almost like when you're welcoming somebody to your home for the first time. You know, you've invited somebody for dinner or to stay the weekend or whatever it might be. And you want them to feel really comfortable and you want them to feel that 
they're important and that you've made an effort and all those things that you were talking about, those care packages and what happened to you at AQ are all indicators that somebody's really thought about it and you are really valued. The other thing you said this very early on when you started is actually what's really important is building that trust. So talk to me a little bit more about that and your ideas around how do you build that trust early on? I think obviously this does come back a little bit to the recruitment process, but if you're confident that you've gone to market and you've interviewed and you've hired the best possible person for the job, you need to then be able to trust them to do that job and you know you're bringing them in for a reason you know if you want to change something or if they're leading a, a part of the business or if they're your frontline support staff or, or whatever it may be you've invested a lot of time in getting that person to start with you so you've already built some of those relationships and you then need to trust that they are capable of doing that and that they come with the knowledge and the ideas that you saw at the interview process. And some of that is through communication. And I think, as I said earlier, a lot of that first month and the first month of onboarding is actually around getting to know the business, but getting to know the person that you've hired and what motivates them, what makes them tick, what impact they're going to be able to have. And most people, when they start a job, they want to be able to feel like they're contributing to the bigger business or that they're able to effectively do their role that you've hired them to do so it's giving the information that they need and making sure that's available and some of it's around FaceTime whether that's virtual FaceTime whether that's on the phone talking things through some of it's around providing them with information to read and digest and appreciate that people work in different ways everybody's mind works very differently me personally, I'm quite a graphic person. I like pictures and images and less text is better for me. But if you give me a document, I can read it and I can go through that in my own time. Whereas if you put me in a room and ask me to read a big document and ask for my thoughts without thinking about that in advance, I would freak out and I'd just be like, actually, I don't work in that way. You know, I work quite quickly and quite image focused. So it's it's articulating how you want to work with whoever you're working with and, and getting them to work on that same process because everyone is different and we hire people for their skills and we hire them for their knowledge their expertise and their opinions whether we like it or dislike it that is so true and I think often what I can see on on my leadership program is the challenges managers face when actually they haven't used that onboarding time to really set a clear framework because you can recruit somebody and think, oh my goodness, they're, they're brilliant. And then they come into the business and I don't know, there's often an assumption where they're just going to work like I work and I'm not going to ask them. And, and so, as you said, you know, actually being really clear with people, it's both ways. It's about you getting to know the person that's come into the business, but also them to get to know you. So being really clear about what you do like and how you do like to work and what are the triggers for you? But what are the things that actually where you will flourish? And and so often we don't have these conversations. We have the onboarding of, right, here's the phone, here's your, your goals. But actually the nuances of how are you and I going to work together? How are you and the team going to work together so that everybody understands how to get the best out of each other? And that for me is a piece that often gets missed. I don't know if that's your experience as well. 
Yeah, 100%. And what I would say is for me, onboarding isn't the first day, the second day, the third day. It's not even the first week. It's the first maybe six months, to be honest with you, because it's a journey and you're learning. And yes, people do need to hit the ground running, but you need to have checkpoints throughout that period of time because things can change really quickly. And especially in the hybrid world that we work in, stuff can fester in people's heads or they can just not express it or actually they just might not understand and I think a lot of people just think they do a really good job of onboarding because the first day experience is great and they get to meet everybody in the first day but it is a journey and I think you need to go beyond looking at that first week even that first month because it it can take sort of six months even a year for some people to really embed into an organization and to be able to flourish and if you go back to how long you invested in the recruitment process, which often takes people in excess of a month, why would you then think it's okay not to talk to them after the first couple of days? Yeah, I would agree. And I would say in the academic world, a year is probably it. You know, you go through all your first, you go through start session, which we've just been through, and then the first term, the second term, the end of term, summer, and then back again but you're absolutely right and it is that process of really getting to know people and, and getting to know how to get the best out of them but also for them to get the best out of you because it is a, a two-way conversation and process yeah and I think the world we're in at the moment is moving quite dramatically both on a political landscape but also the pressures that people are dealing with in their personal lives with the cost of living crisis and various other things that are going on that you have to be more able to check in on people you have to have better understanding of your staff and that things aren't going to change and how you respond to that and how you deal with that and stuff may have changed from when you recruited the person to when they've landed and that may be a gap in skills that may be a gap in knowledge it may just be the business has evolved in that period of time because of the financial implications of what we're all currently facing. So you just have to communicate a bit more and be a bit more transparent around what this looks like and all the kind of nice to have things around, you know, sending nice packages in the post are amazing. But if you're not giving your team that framework, as you said, and there's no direction and, and leadership, it's really difficult for people to succeed. I think the other challenge is at the moment, you know, most people are getting approached four or five times a day for different roles. There are still too many jobs for people. So if people are unhappy or there's just something that you haven't quite done or isn't quite fitting, they're not afraid to just pick up the phone to a recruiter, to another employer and just say, let's have a conversation. And that's a real shift in the market because candidates now know their own worth and they know what to expect they know what what they feel good looks like and doesn't look like and if they don't feel that they're embedded into your culture or into your community they won't hesitate to look elsewhere and that's a really different mindset to get into where we've been previously because previously I think people have always felt that because they had a job or because they were employing people there was almost the employees owed them something but that's really changed and it's a really different marketplace now um, and I think you're also finding people around the flexibility and working. They have multiple jobs or multiple things that they're involved in and side hustles, I think, is the new kind of trend. And I actually read something that in America, 90% of the workforce have a side hustle. Whether that or not that happens in the UK, that's, you know, something 
that remains to be seen. But I think that change in how people want to work and how they engage is is different. And I don't think everyone's got their head around that yet. And certainly some of the challenges I'm seeing within the education sector around flexibility of working, you know, most people need to be on site and they need to be visible. How is AI going to impact us, all of us? I don't know if we know the answer to that, but you have to build that into the conversations you're having with your team and just be transparent that none of us really know how that's going to land or the impact that's going to have but people are valued for their opinion and and how they can manipulate or interpret what the data that's coming out so interesting there so obviously when when we last spoke I think we were just coming out of covid and and now we're a long way out of it and it's like almost some people have forgotten but actually the impact that it's had on the working environment we're still seeing that sort of working its way through and and something that you touched on there about customer facing jobs or or not how as a a sector do you think we do you think we found the solution yet do you think that we haven't got it right what are your thoughts around it that's a difficult one because I don't know that there's a hundred percent answer to this at the moment because everyone's doing something a little bit differently and you know people are having to be a bit more creative in terms of how they engage with people and how they deliver projects and solutions. I think we've probably seen the biggest change since the industrial revolution to be honest with you in terms of how people work and We've moved away from having that kind of nine to five in the office culture, jobs for life type of mentality that we've probably had for a long time. And we've got a new generation that have very different expectations of the workplace coming in. So all of that is a big melting pot, really, in terms of difference of opinions and ideas. And people are trialing things like four day weeks and more flexibility and things like uh, menopause policies and parental leave that are extended parental leave or reduced hours and somebody will get the right answer in the end and I think it will probably be a combination of all these different ideas that are melting out there and there will be a bit more acceptance but COVID changed the world forever in terms of how we work and the working environments that most of us were used to so I think that still has settled down Mm. and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think it's about making sure that you're really transparent in your process around what your expectation is from a business and you set that out from the beginning and you set that out as part of the onboarding. So if you're monitoring people, if you have standard hours or core days that people have to be into the office or whatever solution you've come up with for the business, as long as people buy into that from the day dot and the beginning I think we don't have a problem I think the challenge is when you're not transparent from the beginning and then suddenly say to people actually you're on site five days a week or you know we we fully work from home and you have two days a month you have to be in and you haven't communicated that earlier on for me it's all about transparency it's all about having a not a one-size-fits-all model and about being adaptable and flexible for what your business needs are what your environment are you know clearly I recruit a lot in the education space and and particularly in schools well schools are open Monday to Friday so if you want to work in that environment then you have to be there the days that it's open clearly if you're recruiting in a retail environment you know that's a seven day a week operation so you have to be available in that shift pattern whatever that looks like and 
you have to just communicate that from the beginning and if it doesn't work for some people you have to accept that just may not work and that candidate isn't the right person for the role for whatever reason because it has to work for both parties and I think that's what's really key yeah and and I realized I threw you a bit of a curveball there with that <laughs> question so you did a remarkably well thank you very much but I would totally agree with you and what you said actually and the key message I'm taking back, which seems really simple, but somehow we still don't manage to to nail it, is about that transparency of communication right from the very start and through that onboarding process, because you still have the chance to pull it back. So if you haven't communicated something or something has changed, like you say, the world is changing so quickly that actually then you communicate it and you have a discussion. And I think the other thing that, again, that the word that was coming up for me as you were talking there was it's transparency of communication, but also flexibility on both parts. And I think that because of this hybrid world that we have now, we do need greater flexibility on both sides to make it work. And that's absolutely key as well. So, yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, just so much is changing at the moment um, in, in general. And we'll see what happens over the next couple of years, potentially with a change of government. And they may have different ideas and it may all change again. But I think we all have to deal with where we are at that current space and time. And everyone has to understand that it has to work for both parties. You know, it has to work for you as a, a candidate or an employee, but it also has to work for you as a hiring manager and as a business. And it's about mutual respect for one another, isn't it, really? And that's what it comes down to. And I think if you can show that throughout your processes, whether that's your onboarding, whether that's your recruitment, whether that's your appraisals or, or whatever, it's having that respect for each other. And, and, and being honest that sometimes it's not going to work. And just that has to be the honest People have to put their own mental health first, but businesses have business needs. So, you know, that all has to be balanced to make sure that it's the optimal working environment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the onboarding process is really important because if you've managed to go through a process, a rigorous process and found the right person, and we've all been in that that position, I think, where you've worked with somebody who just slots in and they make such a difference to your world. But also those times where it hasn't quite been right. And no matter what you do, you know, there's not an uh, alignment of values. But I think if you've done everything at that recruitment stage to get that right person, especially, as you said, you know, four or five job offers that, you know, people are being offered all the time, then actually, as the hiring manager, you need to do your very best to keep that person, retain them get the best from them because when you do that's success for you and the organization as well so it's such a key part and as you say it is much more than that first day that first week and that first month brilliant I love that I love that I mean there you go we promised people some great ideas there's like bucket loads in there for people to take away thank you very much so this might be second recording but I'm still going to ask those two questions I ask every guest so between last time and this time when have you had to dive deep and what impact did that have? Ah, A bit recently I think for me you know diving deep making the move to change jobs and I know I talk to people all the time about changing jobs and 
careers and making sure it works for you and your long-term aspirations well taking your own advice is actually quite difficult and you know I really did have to to dive deep over the last year or so and transitioning and really thinking about where I wanted to be in my career in the longer term I also decided to be a governor at a local school and I was in my first couple of meetings and they said, oh, we don't have a chair from September, Hayley. Um, would you be interested? So I've taken on a chair role of a local governing committee in a school. And look, I've recruited in education for the last decade and been probably on the outside of schools and universities. But actually going in and doing a governor role in a leadership capacity you have to learn a lot quickly and you have a lot of different people with different opinions you know some people can be quite emotional it's quite personal um you know there's lots of things that play at any one stage and for me that's been it's been amazing and I think definitely everybody deserves the right for inclusive high quality education and I feel like I'm actually giving something back in that regard so it's, it's been fantastic but it's been a learning curve, definitely. And I think I'm probably still diving deep and, and maybe climbing slowly, just learning everything that's going on. But, you know, I really want to do a good job. I really want to be part of making a difference. And I think actually everybody should do a trustee or a governance role. And there's such a shortage, and this is not a plug by any means, but there's such a shortage of people that are willing to give up their time and to give something back. And Obviously, I'm under 40. I think we we probably all know that. But I was told the other day that only 2% of governors in the UK are under 40. I thought to myself, that is insane. Like, really, what's happening to all these people that want board positions or want exposure or, you know, potentially might want to do a portfolio or a NED career? And they're not, they're not involving themselves or they're not giving up time and most of the big organisations give volunteer days and it's something that I really liked about OQ actually. They give you six days a year for sort of voluntary work and being involved in different projects and things. But it just has a different dimension to you. So I'm a huge champion of that and I'm definitely diving deep, maybe climbing slowly higher up the ladder at the moment on that area. <laughs> I love that. That's such a, a brilliant. And having been a governor of a school, I know exactly what you're going through. So utter respect for you. And I totally endorse that, even if it's not that you want to volunteer for a school. Yeah. My motto is if we all gave even an hour a week to serving other people, giving back, then the world would be a better place. Um, so I totally endorse that. And I love your plug. And I had no idea. So full respect. Oh, my goodness. And changing jobs as well. Love that. I know, probably not the best time to have done everything all at once, but yeah, there we go. And that's how life is usually, it's all or nothing. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so when have you, since we last met, felt like a fish that climbed a tree? Oh dear, I think I feel like that most days, to be honest with you. I think that's the nature of recruitment. I don't think it's ever going to change because part of what I love about my job is I get to talk to some amazing people and I feel quite inadequate most of the time because they're doing these amazing things and they're, you know, in education particularly, you hear of people's stories and their journeys and their careers. And I do often feel like a fish climbing a tree, just trying to suck in all that knowledge that everybody else gives me. And I feel that 
in awe of a lot of the people I talk to actually because they're just amazing and they're so passionate about what they do and I'm really lucky that I get to recruit in this space. Yeah absolutely I would definitely say that people in our sector are passionate about what they do. Love that thank you so so much. So how can people get in touch find out more learn more about you reach out talk to you about any of the subjects we've talked about today? So I'm fairly open book obviously I'm big on LinkedIn I do respond to my messages you can whatsapp me you can facebook me you can instagram me I'm on all the platforms I'm very easily reachable fantastic we will make sure that all of those links go in the show notes for people so it just leaves me to say a massive massive thank you with everything that you've got going on coming back and chatting to me for a second time I knew it was going to be a brilliant conversation and it was and it has been it's been packed full of tips so that's amazing thank you so much what final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with today so I'm actually going to steal this because somebody else told it to me recently and I thought do you know what that really resonated with me so here goes not everything changed that can be faced can be changed but nothing can be changed until it is faced Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive Deep, Climb High, can do leadership in a world of can't.